that is a really exciting passage. And whilst last week we looked at the fact that we are encouraged to see things from God's perspective and not just our own, it leads on to this next encouragement, which prayerfully might be a blessing to us. And that is the encouragement to live. The encouragement to live. We'll look a little bit more at that a little bit later on. But the one I wanted to focus on mainly and to break it down for us and draw out a number of different points is Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. From this one small verse, there are going to be four points I'm going to make. And prayerfully, we can draw practical applications in our own relationship with Jesus as we look at this verse, which most every Christian knows and most every Christian desires to live out in each of our individual Christian lives. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. As you look at it, the first aspect of it is this, Paul's stressing of personal relationship. For to me. Within these three words is the emphasis of Paul's personal convictions for to me and what those convictions mean. For to me to live is what the words actually say. There is a major difference between an ideology and a conviction. An an ideology is a way of thought. Ideologies can change. Ideologies could even be refined. But according to the dictionary, a conviction is a fixed or firm belief that is held to and affects one's life. Therefore, Paul stresses for to me, when he says for to me, talks about and refers to a personal, unique, and intimate relationship that he shares with Jesus. The reason why I stress personal relationship is that Jesus relates to us as individuals. That's the uniqueness of our Christian faith. It's not some blanket thing that he throws upon everybody. The way Jesus related to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 is different to how he related to the woman at the well and the woman of Samaria in John chapter 4. How Jesus communicated to the Pharisees was different how he communicated to the disciples. Even within the disciples, he communicated to them in different ways. Why? Because each person is an individual and we serve a personal God that meets us where we are at. And I think that's really exciting. And this is what Paul is stressing here. He says, for to me to live. Remember Paul's context that in his life, He honestly believed before he came to know Jesus that what he was doing was fulfilling God's call. He sought to be obedient by persecuting the church as a service to God. I think it's in Acts chapter 26, verses 9 to 11. We read his words here. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of the Lord, of Jesus of Nazareth, and that, th- and, sorry, and that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with 
persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. The guy was committed. The guy had a conviction. And what's really exciting is that when God revealed to him that the conviction he placed was in the wrong, well, sorry, his conviction was placed in the wrong place, when truth was revealed to him, nothing held him back. When he met the Lord Jesus on the Damascus Road and Jesus revealed to him who he was, Paul went from, and I've shared this before, the greatest opponent to the Christian faith to the greatest proponent for the Christian faith. He went from opposing the Lord Jesus to becoming his champion. But from that time forth, having truth revealed to him by Jesus himself, he followed a life of personal interaction, of personal experience, personal involvement, and personal intimacy between Jesus and himself. For to me, he says. For to me. So he speaks, I think I put this up here, he speaks from his own salvation by the Lord in Acts 9. He talks of the specific ministry that God had given him. That's in Acts 9 verse 15. As well as the numerous experience he had gone through during his ministry life. Persecution in Antioch, harassment in Iconium, misunderstanding in Lystra, stoning in Derby, imprisonment in Philippi, over and over again in every instance Paul was able to remember the faithfulness of God to his word in his life, the reality of God's promises fulfilled in his life, and witness to the liberating power of the gospel in his life and also in the life of others. For to me, he says. Is it any wonder then that Paul, in his current circumstance, people from the outside might or could view Paul's situation as a consequence of his fanaticism, of his seemingly fanatical behavior. This has actually happened. I have experienced such things that when you go to talk about Jesus, uh, when you go to share about Jesus, you get just viewed in a very strange way. Are oh, you Bible bashing again? Are oh, you thumping? Do you have to speak about Jesus every time I talk to you? Do you have to always be all goody-goody and godly all the time? Do you have to go to church every Sunday? Do you have to be there and hanging out on a prayer meeting? What, all the time. Oh, it's one of, you're one of, those, one of those Christians. The truth is that Paul knew not something, but someone that had met him personally. And in that personal encounter transformed him amazingly for to me he says now you transpose that same mentality i don't know everybody's context i don't know when you became a christian or where you became a christian i don't know what experiences god has taken you through in the lives that you have lived and the lives that he has blessed you with but i do know this for to me, God met and saved. For to me, he revealed himself in such a way that is to draw us out of this world and the cares and affairs of this world and cling to, as we sang this morning, the old rugged cross where my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown.
For to me, our God personally meets us and brings us and our personal context closer to himself. For to me, Jesus revealed himself. It may not be a blinding light that Paul experienced on the road straight to Damascus. It might be in the quietness of your heart when he challenges you. It might have been when you were at school and God all of a sudden opened your eyes to see the sheer glory of who he is. It may have been at home in your bedroom by yourself. It may have been on a street corner when you're talking with an individual. But for to me, Jesus revealed about himself, how much he loved me. For to me, Jesus showed love and mercy by calling me to follow him despite my opposition to him. For to me, Jesus granted the understanding of the forgiveness of sin that he offered by his sacrifice for me. For to me, Jesus gave a new heart, a new spirit, a new citizenship, a new identity through faith in him and what he'd done for me on the cross. For to me, by resurrecting the third day, I have conquered death because he has conquered death. For to me, Jesus has transformed this life, your lives, and made it new. For to me, My beloved is mine, and I am his, and his banner over me is love. For it is that belonging, it is that belonging, for to me, where I know him and am known by him, and that personal word is given substance because for to me to live, that personal relationship results in individual purpose. For to me to live. For to me to live. Now, how many of you have a Twitter account? Raise your hand. Okay. I, I'm, I'm old. I don't have a Twitter. How many of you have Instagram? Raise your hand. Okay. Facebook? Okay. Okay. That's a, I have a Facebook page, which I don't want, but I have. Okay. But okay. One needs to only look at social media today to get a gauge of what people consider to be really living. You have what's called a social media life, which which is a lie. But anyway, that's my personal. See, this is what people consider to be really living. It may be the experiences of travel. And I've got a whole bunch of students that I know, and they travel the world. And I'm, I'm all for travel. Please don't get me wrong. Uh, Auntie Ing Hong, like, she's traveling everywhere. You just got back from Melbourne, sister? Yeah, party, party hard with the family. Okay, so, but yeah, Auntie Ing Hong, who comes back to church, and she's here for like, I think, what, three or four hours, and then goes away for another month. That's, that's what I've experienced, okay? But the experiences of travel, of meeting new people, of trying new foods, of immersing oneself in new cultures, of viewing different places, all to add to the knowledge and horizon and being a man or woman of the world like Auntie Ng Hong. Okay? Then people look at that and they say, that's really living. And then you've got other people who sit there and say, well, no, no, no. It may be investing into one's time and resources by investing into life 
of building relationships, of building a family, of, of, of having friends, of raising great-grandchildren or raising great-children, of making a generation that impacts the world. Now, now that, that is really living. That a man's success is not gauged by his popularity or the amount of power he has, but the amount of influence he can have. Whatever. Okay. But I can say that that is really living. And that's cool. I think that's great. It may be the creating of an empire or being financially secure. It may be having an impact in a specific area of expertise that stands the test of time that you create a legacy that will be known throughout all history. Now, you could say that, that, that is really living. Or to be a popular influencer. If you have a YouTube channel, I heard that they call them influencers, that they influence the culture, which is actually quite true. There was a a philosopher who said, uh, I shared this, let me write the songs of a nation, I care not who writes its laws. Let me write the songs of a nation, I care not who writes its laws. Which basically means this, if you can influence the culture, you can influence the country. No one cares about law, no one cares about facts. Everyone cares. Even now it says it's how one feels, how one is authentic, or whatever it might be. It might be a role model on the sports field, whatever it might be, you have that sort of impact and yeah, that's really living. Really living can be considered somewhat subjective, as you've heard from the three examples that I gave. But the idea behind really living is connected with knowing and fulfilling one's purpose for existence. That's what it means when it comes to really living. Now, you might get some people that say there is no purpose. And if there is no God, yeah, that makes sense. There is no purpose if there is no God. But philosophically speaking, Purpose is never appointed by yourself. It can't be appointed by yourself. C.S. Lewis makes this comment in uh, Mere Christianity. He says, the keys of a piano never play themselves. It requires someone to create something beautiful as they play those keys. It doesn't actually give its own purpose. And whilst we can give things purpose, we think, okay, well, I can do this for my life. My purpose in life is to make money. My purpose in life is, is to have a family or whatever it might We can create a purpose, but the only way something is truly contented is if it fulfills that for which it was designed. You look at a microwave and what it was designed for, you best utilize what it's designed for when you fulfill what it's there for. It's there to heat up food or to make food, whatever it might be. Same would be with an oven or it might be with a car. So theologically speaking, our purpose isn't tied up in ourselves, but rather in the person who gave us life, the person who made us. Theologically speaking, really living is knowing that God made me in His image for the purpose of being in relationship with him and glorifying him in how I live. You see this in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, let whatever you eat or drink do all to the glory of God. Matthew five sixteen: let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. This, this is what God says. This is what really living is. Jono shared a testimony. You want to know why he was so on fire after he shared with Fred at the elderly visit? Because he was fulfilling the purpose for which he was designed. One, to glorify God by telling him 
about the love of God in Jesus Christ. He was fulfilling the great commission of going into all the world and making disciples. He was fulfilling that. And the reason why he could walk away and feel such a joy and excitement, wow, I didn't want to go. This dude was lost. He had lost 20 years. He was, he was talking away about stuff. And all I'm thinking is, what have I done? What have I, he's probably going to walk away and have a breakdown because I've, he's lost 20 years. But when he spoke about Jesus, his heart was uplifted. Why? Because that's what we're designed for. We are designed, that is our purpose, to tell people about Jesus. I, 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 we as a church, I, I love this church, and I love you as my brothers and my sisters, and, and I think the biggest impact that we can have for the gospel of Jesus Christ is not restricted to the big church events that we might have, whether it be Gingerbread House, whether it might be elderly visit, whether it might be anything, we, we set up an outreach, do a progressive dinner. It's not supposed to be limited to just those specific events throughout the year. You know where the greatest joy is found? Where each individual informally goes around and shares people with people about Jesus in our lives. That we walk away feeling joy and excitement because we're fulfilling our purpose. You want to know why Paul and Silas, when they get beaten in jail, can praise and sing God, sing, sing glorious praise to God and acts? It's because they were fulfilling the purpose for which God had created them for. Do you want to have joy in your life, which we are told in Nehemiah, the joy of the Lord is our strength, correct? You want to have that joy? Fulfill your purpose. Fulfill your purpose. Fulfill the role that God has given you in your lives to glorify Him, which means this, and I, I know, I'm like a broken record. I know this. I know this. But it means this, okay? You want to know how you find joy and glorify God? By being obedient to His Word and as husbands loving your wives as Christ loved the church. As, as wives to submit yourselves to your husbands as unto the Lord. And, and, and being submitting each, yourselves to each other as parents to raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, as Christians to go out and show the love of Jesus through word and through deed. You want to know, that's, that's how joy is found. That's when you walk away being excited and encouraged because, yeah, I'm. And, and God gives you that joy because you're fulfilling what God has created you for. That's why he says, for to me, to live. God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. We have been given to us the light of God's glory, the knowledge of Jesus Christ to take and to what? To shine. Shine, Jesus, shine. Remember that? Shine. That's such a good song. Shine, Jesus, shine that Christ would shine through us to those around us. And you know what happens when we shine? Not only do people see, we are fulfilling the purpose for which we were designed, to shine. That's a, that's a real 21st century, shine, just shine. But that's what we're called to do. Let your light so shine before men. That's what we're supposed to do. And where there are so many people that are claiming various things, especially biblical things for themselves, Let's show them what it's supposed to truly look like. See, for to me, to live. We are enlightened to live and to really live. To live the abundant life that Jesus promised to bring us in John 10, verse 10. Which cannot come from living for ourselves, but for him who loved us 
and gave himself for us. And what that, this is evidence. This thing is evidence. So we know that it's personal. We have a personal relationship with our Savior. A pers- Why? So that we might fulfill an individual purpose. But that individual purpose is only granted to us in the very next two words. By our divine sovereign. For to me, to live is Christ. To me, to live is Christ. You'll notice here the word used is is. It implies a present tense. It means the here and now. It's not talking about for, you know, for, me, for to me to live is for Christ. For me, for me to live is for, for Christ, no, or, or by Christ. It says is Christ. See, to live for Christ implies a motivation or purpose. To live by Christ refers a means by which such motivation is accomplished. To live from Christ speaks of the power from which things are drawn. But to live, like to, but he states, is Christ. For me to live is Christ means it's in the here and now. It's present tense. For to me to live is Christ. And I was thinking to myself, why did he use that word? Well, because he wants us to focus not only on who he is, but to get a picture of how great he is. Now, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Colossians. I want to read this. I didn't put this up there. We'll, we'll, we'll spend our time looking at some scriptures. Colossians chapter 1. And I'm going to read from verse 15 down to verse 23. The supremacy of the Son of God, it says in my Bible. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. That is a great passage because it it gives us a a clear representation of who Jesus Christ is. For to me, to live is Christ. How well do you know who you live for? How well do you know the greatness of Jesus Christ? For example, why is for me to live as Christ? Because of his representation of God. Jesus himself said, when you see me, you see the Father. That's what he said. He represents clearly everything that God is. The fullness of who God is is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. 
how he conducts himself, what he does, how he stands against sin, how he holds compassion, how he, how he is holy and yet and merciful, how he is a God of judgment, how he's a God of anger, is a God of jealousy. This is in the person of Jesus Christ. So you want to know why for him to live as Christ? It's because of his representation of God. He is the, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Secondly, because of his position as creator. So not only is he the, the representation of God, but the, the position he holds above all things as creator. Verses 16 and 17. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. His position as creator, where he, you look at John chapter 1, verse 3, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That's the position he has as creator. And as creator, what does that, that reinforces the fact that he has authority over what he made. Remember, years ago, a missionary, he said, when he asked a person at a mission, at a, at a tribe, and said, whose paddle is that? The tribesman responded, the one who made it, I guess. He is the creator owner. You make it, you own it. It's yours. And that's the position that he holds as creator. He, why is for me to live as Christ? Because of his supremacy as Lord. Verses 18 and 19, that he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. In the New King James, it says the preeminence. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. When someone's supreme, in the, in the 80s, that was the word to use. We wouldn't say cool. We'd say supreme. That was until Arnett started making a cracker called Supreme. So we stopped. Because like, Supreme, you hungry? Don't worry, it's all good. Okay, Supreme. The, when you think of something Supreme, it means that's it. It's the pinnacle. It's the apex. That's where it sits. You want to know why for to me to live as Christ? Because of his supremacy as Lord. He reigns over all. He is transcendent of the universe, and yet he knows me. Think about that for a second. This representation of God who holds position of creator and is supreme over all things calls me by name. For to me to live is Christ. Because of his sacrifice as Savior. Verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Think about that for a second. We, we've looked at the first three here as being representation of God. He's God in the flesh. That is how great he is. He is creator and owner of all there is, he is supreme and reigns preeminent over all his creation, and he sacrificed himself for me. You want to know why? For to me to live is Christ, because this great God that stands upon everything else, who knows me by name, laid all that aside to bring me into a relationship with himself. That's why. 
You and I know for to me to live is Christ because he gave up everything for me. He gave up everything for me. That is the extent of his love that you said, I will give up everything so that Joe can become my child. For to me, to live is Christ. And lastly, because of his restoration as Prince of Peace. What he does in his sacrifice, verses 21 through to 23. See, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present me holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If I continue in my faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that I heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which Paul has become a servant. See, all of this, all of this was done so that Paul might enter into a relationship with him. Someone who gave up everything, someone of great authority, someone of great power who gave up everything to bring Paul to himself. This is the reason why Paul looks and sees, wow, if he is giving so much for me, the chief of all sinners, the very least that can be done on my behalf is to say, for to me to live is Christ. Why? Because for me, Christ gave his life. That's why Paul can say that. That's the encouragement to live. See, with this word in Colossians, it speaks of the magnificence of Jesus Christ. The magnificence, the greatness, the majesty, the sheer bigness of who Jesus Christ is, is reflected in this passage. His image, his power, his fullness, his reconciliation, his atonement, his everything. His everything is laid on the line as a manner of love that we might be called the sons and daughters of God. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See, this is what Paul shares here. Paul shares here that Christ is life. Christ is purpose. Christ gives destiny. He gives power. He loves. He saves. He delivers. He personally, for to me, gives meaning to live. And eternal substance and purpose to my existence is Christ. That's what he's communicating there. For to me, to live is Christ. Paul saw his life and his current circumstances, what we talked about last week, and his current circumstance through the lens of God's love in Jesus Christ. And it meant that everything that he experienced to this point was currently exactly what God had wanted him to go through. Because he saw it, not as a hindrance, but as an opportunity. Not as a restriction, but as a liberation and advancement for the gospel. Why? Because he saw rightly. That's what he looked at. He was encouraged to see And he understood that he was exactly where God wanted him to be. To live for the Lord Jesus and answering the call on his life and to live from the Lord Jesus, anointed by the Holy Spirit. So much so, see, Paul's mindset was not only expressed in what he saw, but how he lived. And so when those came together, this last one, 
that of ultimate victory. And to die is gain. Wait, 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 wait. To die is gain. For to me to live is Christ. And we're all like this. We're all for this. For to me to live is Christ. Yeah, that's going to be my, my, my slogan. Yeah, for to me to live is Christ. But to die is gain. To die is gain. What does he mean by that? In Romans chapter 5, we get the only way death can be viewed in a positive light like this is if, is if death is understood from God's perspective. In the beginning, death was not a part of God's original design. Remember that. Everything he had made was for the blessing and benefit of his creation, of for Adam and Eve, for humanity. And because of humanity's defiance, their creator, defiance to their creator, death entered. That's what Romans 5, 12 to 14 is. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking the command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of one to come. This is just a passage that refers to the universal, the universal nature of sin's presence. If sin is described as a transgression of the law, according to 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, it didn't mean that sin was non-existent. It still was still there. Sin still existed before the Ten Commandments. This was merely the articulation of humanity's desire to live separate from God's rule. To be as Adam and Eve were tempted by the, by the serpent in Genesis 3-5, like God's to decide good and evil. That's what this is. But we are given ultimate victory over this because for you and I, death, death is conquered. Because Christ rose, we too will rise with him. He says that. Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? It's gone. You know why? Because Christ has overcome it. That's why. 1 Corinthians 15. That is what we have given. You see, when Christ is one's life, death is not considered a hindrance, but a gain. Remember, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. When Christ is one's life, death is not to be feared, but conquered. We are in Romans 8.37, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Once again, 1 Corinthians 15, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? When Christ is one's life, death is not a burden, but a liberation. When we will shed this mortal coil, when corruption puts on incorruption and mortality puts on immortality, that's what, when Christ is one's life, these become realities in one's life because you see one's life from God's perspective. You see one's life with God's purpose. You see one's life with God's heart. And this is why we're encouraged to live that for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So then how does one live as, as Christ and to die? How does one live Philippians 1.21? And this is where the rest of the passage in Philippians is really helpful. 
because you see this demonstrated from verse 19 through to verse 30. Perspective. This is where the passage is really enjoyable. Oh, the whole thing's been trouble. That sounded bad. All right. Perspective, verses 18 and 19. It says, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. As discussed last week, Paul viewed his current condition in the context of God's greater purpose. And as shared last week, it means that you and I must train our eyes to see the hand of God at work in our current condition. Both the good and the bad, we must be able to recognize God's hand. Is that easy? No. But we must train our ability to see God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ that will turn out for my deliverance. That's the first thing. Perspective. The second thing, that of recognition, verses 20 and 21. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is a brutally honest admission of Paul's nature. There is hope and expectation that he would not shy away from his stand as a follower of Jesus. I, I think Paul knows what he's capable of, but also knows of the reality that the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Matthew 26, verse 41. But offset such thoughts by being focused on Jesus. See, sometimes we just need to get back to the basics of our Christian life. Sometimes we just need to get back to looking at Jesus, meditating on the Jesus of the Bible, looking at what Jesus did as he left his glory and clothed himself in bodily form, looking at Jesus who revealed the reality of a knowable, intimate, loving God as Father. He who was unjustly arrested and brutally beaten and mercifully mocked for loving his persecutors and then nailed to a cross where he bled and died for me. You think getting back to the basics of the Christian life is getting back to the person of Jesus Christ. Perhaps we have complicated our relationship with Jesus so much and got involved with so many other things and doing so many other things that God just wants you to spend time with Him. Maybe. I, I, I shared this, and, and this is one, of, I'm, I'm sure this, I shared something with some leaders uh, a little while ago and I received, like, I, was just, I was feeling a bit down. I was feeling a bit down. Feeling, I was feeling a bit discouraged. It was just a weight and I was praying. I was, Lord, I don't know what's going on. What's going on with me? And I'm praying. I went to bed that night and the next day I woke up and a, a, a lovely sister in the church, her and her husband sent me a message. And it was just to say, I'm praying for you. I'm just praying for you. And they sent me a song and I listened to the song and the song was a great blessing. So I bought the album and, and, and that was really nice. And, and then it was really funny because when I woke up and, and read the message, listened to the song, but my spirit's just uplifted. My, uh, my excitement had returned. My, the joy was, was there. And all I could put that down to is the fact of these leaders praying for me. That's all I can put it down to. Because my context hadn't changed. The situation hadn't changed. But the view had changed because someone had prayed for me. And they shared me a little encouragement. And that's all it was. 
So maybe, just maybe, until, so I opened the scriptures, and what did I do? I, I looked at the person of Jesus. Look at the greatness of his love. The greatness of his love. Maybe we just need to do that. Look at the greatness of his love expressed in the person of Christ and what he did for me. Often we read the scriptures and look, oh, this would be good for so-and-so to hear. This would be great for my husband. He needs this one. Oh, my kids. Man, I'll slap on the head with this one. Maybe instead of doing all that, maybe we just say, Lord, open my eyes to see wondrous things in your law. Lord, open my eyes that I might see you and fix my eyes upon you. I look unto the hills, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Maybe we just need to do that. Get back to the basics of our relationship with Jesus so that he might excite our hearts and that he might encourage us. You know, I, I, even, even as I was doing the sermon and I was looking at that, I was thinking, this is really exciting. When I look at how much God loved me in Jesus Christ. And you know what happens when you get excited and looking at that? You don't only appreciate the love of Christ to us, you walk around thinking, yeah, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So recognition, acceptance. That's in verses 22 to 26. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me, yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. I like these verses for a couple of reasons. One, he knows what awaits him. The joy of hearing, well done, good and faithful servant from his Savior. He knows from the sufferings that in his, uh, he knows that the sufferings of this present life are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in him. That's in Romans 8. And with that knowledge, he knows that this is temporary. The fact is, in prison, that's not going to last. If he goes, he goes to glory. But also, too, while he knows where he's going, he's not going to sit around and wait for the end. He's not going to twiddle his thumbs. He's going to be active. Paul wants to utilize his time and redeem it by investing into others. Like he says, it'll be better. Jono and I joke about this, and I'm so thankful. Jono shared with me this morning as we discussed it, you know, that's the reason why I hang around, Joe. Not because, not because of me, like it'd be much better for me to go to glory right now, but I stay here for you, Joe. And I so appreciate him staying for me. He's such a blessing. And I think, but that's exactly what it is. Paul's like, man, it would be, it would be great. I'm, I'm torn. Man, I want to go to glory. But I'll stay because I want to utilize the gifts and the talents and the abilities God's given me to bless and encourage and uplift and edify the saints and to proclaim the gospel so others might come to know him. So it was acceptance. He accepted his condition. He accepted the situation. And the last one, that of conviction, verses 27 to 30 Okay, when one is Christ's life, there is, a stand, there is a standard one desires to adhere to, an expectation one wants to meet. Firstly, Paul reveals here is a standard and values that the gospel brings to life. To live in a manner that is worthy of the good news that transforms lives and saves people from hell, from death, and from themselves. The conviction to hold and live according to gospel truth. 
When Christ is one's life, there is to be a unified goal because there is a unity of spirit. And that's what the, 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 red, the red one's for. Okay? Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. When Christ is one's life, there is boldness and courage for if God is for us, who can be against us? And deliverance will ultimately come, whether victory in the here and now or liberation from this mortal coil. But there is no fear in love, for perfect love casts out fear. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. When Christ is one's life, then you will not only share in the blessing of being a child of the Most High, blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, as well as the joy of God's people, but you also have the privilege to suffer with Jesus as well. Uh, Luke 21, 17 says, everyone will hate you because of me. That's what Jesus said. Thus, when Christ is one's life, there is resolve and a conviction to press on despite the circumstances. And that's in verses 29 and 30. This is why, this is why, for us, after being encouraged to see, we are encouraged to live. To live for Christ because of the personal relationship He made available to us in Himself. Encouraged to live because of my personal relationship with Him has been given individual purpose by this personal God who holds a divine sovereignty and gives ultimate victory. For to me, to live is Christ. We're encouraged to live abundantly because Jesus has given us the right perspective on our lives, granted us the ability to recognize our context in that perspective, enabling us to accept the circumstances because we recognize God's hand in each context and convinced of our position as being in accordance with God's plan and for God's glory. If we are encouraged to see, and with such vision, encouraged to live, we are left with this thought at the end. For all the things we do to entertain ourselves and to bring excitement to our existence, perhaps, perhaps, really living for us as Christians is found in these words of Paul to say, for to me to live is Christ... And to die is gain. This is the thought that I want to leave you with today. How well do I see my Savior? And if I see Him, how then do I live in accordance with my Savior? I would encourage you lastly to get back to Jesus. Get back to Jesus. And in prayer, ask him to restore unto me the joy of my salvation. I think that's a good place to start. That is the encouragement to see and to live from Philippians chapter 1. If you'd like to be upstanding, I'm not going to ask the music team to come up. I will ask the prayer team to come forward.
But I, I would like to pray for you and for myself as well. And I know the prayer team will be praying for unsaved family members and unsaved friends and things, but we serve a God that desires to revive our hearts and to restore the joy of the Lord. That is our strength. And so if you feel as though you've just been going through the motions, if you feel as though you're just existing as a Christian, then maybe the invitation of our Lord is to to come back to Him, to not only remember, but to act on that remembrance. Perhaps that could be it. So if the prayer team can come forward and I'll pray, and, and then I would love to pray for you guys afterwards as well. Okay? Father, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you so much for the encouragement to live, but not to live in accordance with our own desires and our own lusts, but in accordance with your heartbeat and for your purpose. Father, we thank you that you have opened our eyes to see by your Spirit not only the wonderful things you have prepared for us, for those that, you know, because eye is not seen, neither ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man. Not only you've given us the ability to see the spiritual realm, uh, but we allow so many things to cloud our vision. I pray you'll help us to discern You'll help us to do away with and lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily trips us up and to look unto you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Father, I pray you will help us to live as the Apostle Paul did, uh, to have the same attitude toward everything around us, that everything is viewed through the lens of your love for us, to live a life in submission and obedience to your heartbeat, to your goals, uh, to you for your kingdom. Father, we need your help. We need you to sharpen our spiritual senses. We need you to enable us to, to hear from you so clearly your direction and your guidance, not only for us as individuals, but also us as a church. So, Father, we ask for you to stir us now. We commit ourselves to you and we cry out for your spirit to move amongst us this day, that we will not be the same we will not be content in remaining where we're at, but rather grow from glory to glory, from faith to faith, because you have placed your hand on us. So we ask for you to dismiss us now in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you very much, brothers and sisters. We would love to pray for you this morning. There's no darkness in